Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 7. I will be reading from the NIV version. Hear now the word of the Lord. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel, the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Dana and team, for leading us in our worship this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. Great to see you here this morning. Thank you for coming. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. It's my privilege to bring the word to you this morning. And uh, I just say, as I said to our first service, so thankful for the, those uh, worship songs that we sang together this morning. Did you catch the theme there among those three songs? That even when we are struggling, even when we're suffering, even when we're going through trials, that God is there with us, that He strengthens us, that we can say, as we sang, it is well with my soul, even in the midst of those struggles. We're going to see a lot of that in our passage this morning. But it's one thing to read it in the book of Acts. It's another thing to know that it's true in our own lives, right? Right? that God is there with us in the midst of our struggles. And so this morning, maybe you're here and you've got a burden, you've got a struggle, some, maybe something you've not even told anybody else here about. But God knows, and God hears you, and God is with you. And I want you just to hear that reminder as we go to prayer and go to his word this morning. So let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for the encouragement of the songs that we've sung that you are the Lord of all, that you are our great Redeemer, our Savior, that even when things are going in a difficult way, even when we're walking a difficult path, you are there with us. And we can turn our hearts towards you and say, blessed be your name. Whether in the good times or the hard times, that even in the midst of the storms, we can, stay, we can sing and say, it is well with my soul. And I thank you for the truth of those songs, of those proclamations, and the truth of your ministry to us in our lives, even in the hard times. And so, Lord, I do pray for any, anyone right here in this room right now, anybody that's watching this service online for the live stream or maybe watching this service later at some later time, 
Lord, you know what we're going through. You know the things that we're working on. You know the things that we're struggling with. And we pray that you would strengthen our faith. As we're going to see you do that in our passage this morning, we're asking for that now in prayer. And Lord, I'm also asking and praying that you would use your word to encourage us, help me to accurately communicate what you want said this morning so that your spirit can do the work of teaching and counseling and guiding and comforting all that we, we need this morning. And that your living word would grab a hold of us and, and remind us of the truth that we hold to and the foundation that we need for everyday life. So we thank you for this time together in the Word. This is a continuation, Lord, of our worship of you. And so we ask that you would speak through your Word to our hearts. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I brought this uh, colorful item from my office with me this morning because it's a reminder to me of a trip that I took back in January of 2014. I had the privilege of going with about three other men from our church in Virginia Beach at the time to go to Tanzania in Africa. It's the first time I'd ever been on the continent of Africa. And we took the trip there because we had a mission work there and building some wells and ministering to some, some tribal uh, areas and uh, doing some education projects and a number of things that we were going to, to look over there. And we got there to Tanzania, and um, I realized I've been a lot of places around the world, but I was more out of my element there than anywhere else I'd ever been. And just the difference in language and culture, and of course, I didn't look anything like the people there, and it was just almost overwhelming. So I brought a few pictures. One of the things was as we drove on these back roads across the, to village to village, we would pass giraffe. Giraffes? Do you see, is, it, is there an S, plural, giraffes? There, there were lots of them. And we would pass them just along the road or, or crossing the road, just the way I would pass cows or horses on my way to church, you know, here in North Georgia. And so that was one thing, just out of the ordinary. And then when we, would, we got to this village, we were doing a celebration because one of the wells that our church had helped provide was just being open for the first time. And so the Maasai people, and those were the tribal groups that were in that area in Tanzania, had come for miles around for this celebration. And it was just gorgeous, the color of their outfits and the, the, the celebration that they come to. They were singing, they were dancing the food, I, I, I couldn't even identify the food we were eating, but it was amazing. And, and just to see all this, and I, I was just taking it all in, even though I didn't know a lot of what was going on. And I had this because they, they gave this to me. It was their gift to me at that celebration service. It's called a talking stick. And for the Maasai people, it means the leader or the person who is, who is presenting, who is talking, gets to hold the stick. And I guess, you know, you just wave this out there, and it means that you're in charge in the moment. So, um, so listen up. <laughs> um, so they gave this to me, which was a little bit odd because I was not doing the talking. I was actually listening, taking it all in. I was the one learning from them because, you see, many of these Maasai people, we're also believers in Jesus Christ. And so as different as everything else was in the surroundings there, what we had in common was the Lord Jesus. 
And so for a lot of things I didn't understand, what I did understand was their hallelujahs and their praise of the Lord Jesus. I came through that experience and, and realized, you know, what I experienced there in Tanzania must have been a lot like what Paul and Barnabas experienced as they went on this first journey into completely new territories, unknown places. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 14. If you're not there already, take your Bible, your electronic device, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are in this first journey, and they are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and this is our series title, right? We've been here for a number of months. We'll be a few more months yet in this because the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said it would. And we followed their steps. And I put a map up here as well so we could see this morning how we've come because we're coming back to this. So here, Paul and Barnabas, use my little fancy pointer here. So Antioch is where they started. That's their sending church. They sailed over here to Cyprus. We saw them go through the island of Cyprus and all that happened to them there. They sailed again, and they come up here to Perga and go right up to Pisidian Antioch. And a couple weeks ago, Jason preached from that passage in, in Acts 13 about all that went on, the, the message that, that Paul spoke there in, in Pisidian Antioch. And we see that they've, they've come to these places, and, and in many cases, the gospel is received, but in other cases, there's this resistance and, and rejection of the gospel as well. They're getting both responses, as we often see when the gospel goes out, right? And they come, for instance, to Cyprus, and they confront this sorcerer there. They come to Antioch, and as we saw a couple weeks ago, they face a lot of persecution and resistance in Antioch. And you would almost think at this point of their journey, as they get to Antioch, that, you know, it's, maybe it's time just to go home. And this has been a hard journey so far. John Mark has already left them. And so maybe Paul and Barnabas say, okay, let's get to friendlier territory here. But they don't. They continue pressing on. They move into even more difficult territory. As we're going to see this morning, they, they're taking the gospel where it's never been before. It's extraordinary, the boldness and the courage of Paul and Barnabas, even in the midst of hardship and challenges and trials. And they see God work miracles. So I want to start with the last, one of the last verses of our passage because it kind of gives us the context for today. They get back to Syria and Antioch. At the end of this first missionary journey, the end of our chapter, verse 27, they say, they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God had opened a door of faith for these Gentiles. And this is extraordinary message for them to bring back to their Jewish church, mostly Jewish church, in Antioch. People were coming to faith. And we're going to see this morning where you kind of use that open door theme as our theme for the morning. So our first principle today is when God opens doors, we need to make a choice. When God opens doors, there is, there is a decision that must be made. These first seven verses that you heard read just a moment ago. So out of Pisidian Antioch, Paul and Barnabas essentially have a door slammed in their faces there, right? And so they move on 90 miles to the city of Iconium, and God opens a new door there. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this city. It was an agricultural commercial center. They were famous for their, their produce and their wool. 
But this is a city that was really more under Greek culture. They had kind of resisted the Roman culture of their day, of the Roman Empire itself, and, and kind of wanted to stay in their own, their own background, their own history. And so Paul and Barnabas come into the city of Iconium, and they follow the same pattern that we've seen before. So they, they find the Jewish synagogue in the city, and there is one here. And they go in and they preach the gospel of Jesus to the Jews and to the God-fearing Gentiles who were part of that Jewish uh, synagogue. And they received the response that we've already seen numerous times. Some responded, some believed, some, Luke tells us, did not believe, rejected the message. And so for those who did not believe, not only did they refuse, they began to stir up trouble for Paul and Barnabas. So what I love in this passage here is they, they come to this part, there's already trouble brewing, as Luke tells us, and then he says, but Paul and Barnabas stayed for a considerable time. So they say, wait a minute, talking about open and shut doors, doesn't that sound like a shut door? I mean, there's, there's trouble brewing, doesn't that mean you get out of Dodge? No, there wasn't time yet. Here's the truth for us to grab a hold of. Sometimes just having some difficulties in our lives doesn't necessarily mean God is closing the door. It doesn't necessarily mean we abandon ship and run. Sometimes that's when the work of God is most critical. And that was true right here in Iconium. So God affirms the message now as they stay and continue faithful to present the gospel God affirms their message with signs and wonders. And Luke doesn't tell us exactly what those were. Mirac miracles for sure, but he doesn't tell us exactly what. As, as we often see in the book of Acts, the, the gospel is new truth, new message, right, for these people. So they, they need the affirmation of these miracles to show that God is in this. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, when they come to these areas, they're, they're not carrying a New Testament with them. It wasn't written yet. They don't have the life of Jesus in print yet. It's all verbal. They're telling the message. It's their own testimony. And so that these miracles were important to affirm that what they were telling folks was from God. So the Word of God's grace needed the proof of God's power behind it. But even with those miracles, Luke tells us in verse 4, the people of the city were divided. So, you know, I, I think to myself, well, how could that be? You, you, they're seeing these miracles. They're hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. How could there be division over that? And yet that's often what we see. The gospel presents us with a decision. And God gives us the freedom to choose. And that choice makes a difference. So some, even when Jesus was on earth, heard Jesus, heard his words, saw his miracles, and still rejected him. The apostles who had been with Jesus, eyewitness testimonies, they went out and told people, and some accepted, but some rejected. There's always this decision point. And maybe some of you here today in this room, maybe some of you that are watching the service online, maybe you've heard the good news about Jesus, but maybe you haven't yet made that decision. Maybe you haven't committed your life to Him. And what I want you to hear this morning is that indecision essentially is a decision because you can't sit on the fence forever. 
You either believe in Jesus or, as Luke tells us in this passage in, in Acts, you are refusing to believe in Jesus. Either you're on your way to life or you are on your way to death. This summer, when we were uh, in Canada, one of the days I took a bike ride out to kind of a knoll that overlooks where the Niagara River flows into Lake Ontario. So it's a little town called Niagara-on-the-Lake. And so I got up on this knoll and was able to look, and it was a really windy day and unusual because the, the waves and currents and so on on the lake, and you could see it all churned up. And as I'm looking out there, I, I noticed something that it was clear it was a drama that was kind of unfolding. Because <laughs> I saw this couple out there in a canoe. They'd clearly come down the river and right out onto this, the opening of the lake. And they're just kind of drifting out there, floating out there, just, I think, enjoying the view of the lake. And as I'm watching them, I see they've got a little tiny trolling motor on the back of their canoe and I assume paddles in the canoe, but they're just kind of sitting there. And then I noticed a a Coast Guard boat come up towards them, and they began to shout at them. And I was too far as I was from shore, and I took a picture of it here. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but they had come out on the bow of that boat, and they were trying to say something. It looked to me like they were trying to motion them to go back to the river to get away from the shore. And sure enough, as time went on, because it didn't look like they responded, they didn't start paddling, it didn't look like the motor was going, they just kept drifting closer and closer toward me and toward the shore. And I looked down, and the, sh the shore is not a sandy beach. There are these huge boulders right at the, at the edge of the lake there, and the waves are crashing against these boulders. And so now all of a sudden, I'm starting to panic a little bit. I think, what, what are they? they got to get away from there. And as they got a little closer, the wave action, the current, began to push them faster and faster toward the shore. I think they thought they had plenty of time, plenty of room to paddle the other way. And then it, but then it was too late. By the time they started to act and tried to get the motor going and get the paddles going, they were already being washed toward shore. And I looked behind me to see if there's a way I can get down and get down to where they're going to be because I know they're going to land on those rocks. And before I could even figure out a way, there were some other people down along the shore that had seen the same thing going on and rushed over to that edge. And sure enough, one wave just picked up that little canoe and flipped it right over. And both of them and all their gear were in the water. Thankfully, at that point, they were close enough. The water pushed them right to the rocks. They were able to grab on. Some other people came and rescued them. All the stuff in their boat was gone. It sunk to the bottom. Their boat continued to get cracked, you know, pushed up against the rocks, smashed over and over again. I'm sure it ruined that canoe. This is the gospel. When we hear what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it's a warning. It's like the call from that Coast Guard boat saying, watch out, take hold, go the other direction. And we sometimes tend to think, you know, I'm okay here. I can just float a little longer. We don't see that those waves are pushing us towards a rocky shore and disaster. You can't just coast. The gospel demands a decision. You either take the salvation that Jesus offers you or you refuse it. And you're washed toward that rocky shore. 
Paul and Barnabas knew they had to continue to give that message regardless of the response. But those who rejected the gospel, it turned out, also rejected the messengers. Verse 5 tells us, they hatched a plot to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas. And somehow God enabled them to find out about the plot to escape. And now, finally, the door really did close in Iconium. They were run out of town. So now, uh, now it's gone bad in Iconium too. Surely now, well, maybe they should just go home or go another direction. Go to where it's a little safer, a little easier to present the gospel, right? That's not what happens. Paul and Barnabas head to Lystra, about 18 miles away. Let me show you the map again here up on our screen. They've come to Antioch, to Iconium, and now they come this direction down here, just 18 miles to Lystra, which doesn't seem very far away. And yet, it was like a world away. Because it was for them, for Paul and Barnabas, it's like going into the, to the Amazon. This is now a place where there's a different language, different culture. There's no Jewish synagogue. Now they're stepping into an area that's, that's covered by pagan idolatry. This is a whole other world. And so it brings us to another point here. When God opens doors, we need the gospel on our level. We need to hear it on our level. We need to give it on the level of those who need to hear it. Pick up the story, verse 8, here in our passage, where we ended our reading before. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, at that point, you should start to sound like Acts 3, right? You remember the story when Peter and John go into the temple in Jerusalem, and they see a man that's been lame from birth, and, and they heal him in the midst of the temple there. It sounds like a similar story, but now we are not in Jerusalem anymore. This is not Kansas, okay? This is a whole different place. And so the people here don't have an understanding of the one true God like the Jews in Jerusalem had. Completely different context. And so they see this miracle, but they come up with a completely different rationale for it. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. He held the talking stick, right? So, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And wow, look how this has turned. It's amazing. I doubt if Paul and Barnabas saw what was coming here. Now get this, that this city is, again, remember I mentioned the Greek cultures in this area. So they are worshiping Greek gods. And so when they see this miracle, they think, well, this must be these Greek gods in human form now have come down to us. And there just happens to be a temple of Zeus and a priest of Zeus right outside the city. He gets involved, and all of a sudden they're bringing bulls and preparing to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. Now, there's a little background here because there was a, a, a story that went around that this had happened before. 
and that some the, the gods had come down and this town didn't receive them, and therefore the gods wiped out that village. And so if they knew of this story, this myth, then they would have been saying to themselves, we're not going to make the same mistake. If these are the gods, the Greek gods, we better worship them. And so that's what happens. And so they come into this setting now, and, and you think at this point, well, Paul and Barnabas, why aren't you telling people not to do this? Why aren't you stopping this? Well, realize again what's going on is in a different language. They don't understand what the people are saying. They don't know what's going on. When they finally get it, verse 14 says, when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard this of this, they tore their clothes. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in, the sea, in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. What I want you to notice here is how Paul and Barnabas adapted this message. First, they point out the uselessness of this false worship. They call it out for what it is. But then they direct them to God's, what we would call nowadays, general revelation. They say, look at what God has done. Look, He is the living God, and look what He has given us. Another word that we use for this is common grace, the common grace of God. So I put a definition up on the screen for you here. It's God's blessing poured out on all men and women, regardless of their faith or righteousness. So there's, a, there's an expression of God's kindness, and love and grace that he shows to all human beings. And Paul and Barnabas point to this and say, you've experienced this, you've seen this. God's revealed himself to you in these ways. He's given you rain. He grows your crops. He gives you food. He, he brings joy into your life. And Paul says in Romans 1, he comes back to the same theme of general revelation. He says, because God's revealed himself in these ways, everyone is without excuse. We've all seen God in his common grace. And, and so this is why they focus here. Now, think about this. The gospel presentation for Paul and Barnabas in Lystra could not have started with Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. That would have meant nothing to them. They didn't have the background of the Old Testament. They didn't know the prophecies. These are not Jewish individuals here that understand the Old Testament. And so these Gentiles have no context. And so Paul and Barnabas speak to them on their level. They describe the common grace of God that, that they could see in their everyday life. It's a great lesson for us. As you come in contact with unbelievers, those who don't know the Lord, meet them on their level. Meet them where their questions are and the things that they're struggling with in their life, just like Paul and Barnabas do here. I had this opportunity just, just a week ago, Sunday night, last week, I, I went up into our, to, into our neighborhood and was playing pickleball with some of the other neighbors around us and I was sitting down on the bench between some games and got into a conversation with another one of the guys from our neighborhood. He describes himself as an ex-Catholic, 
And he said to me, he knew I was a pastor, and so he said to me, you know, I've got a friend that's going through a really hard time right now. And he went to describe from all the struggles that this person is going through. And then he looked at me and he said, why would God allow somebody to go through such terrible things? It was an honest, heartfelt question. And a hard question, right? But it was also an open door for me. Now, in that moment, with that question, it was not the time to say, well, let me tell you about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. No, I needed to answer his question. So I just simply went to say, you know, sin has ravaged our world. It's because of sin that there's suffering and there's death and there's difficulty. And I said, and only God has made a way out. Only God has a rescue plan for that. And we didn't get much further than that. My hope is that was a seed planted for another conversation with this individual later on. And sometimes that's all that there is room for and time for. Now, I said this first service, I, I am not the best example of how to do personal evangelism. I struggle with it myself. I get nervous in those kind of situations. Sometimes I'm not sure what to say, and I, I don't really want to speak up. And so I understand you have, if you have those same kind of struggles. But in those moments, it's an opportunity. God opens a door, and sometimes we just need to share what we know based on the question that is asked or based on the situation, the trial, the, the situation that person's going through. That may be the most important thing that we say. And just like Paul and Barnabas here, in this moment, the first part of, that they need to hear about the gospel is they need to be introduced to the, very, to the living God and the common grace He has poured out on them. So what happened? As they adapted their message, as they gave this message of the common grace of God, did all of the city of Lystra turn to God in faith then all of a sudden? No. It, it, it wasn't like that made everything successful. Trouble just kept coming. So look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Remember, Antioch and Iconium, those were the cities they'd been to before. The bad guys that didn't like them there come all the way down to Lystra. They stir up trouble. They won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Okay, again, this is amazing, right? Did you catch this? One minute, the, pe the people are ready to worship Paul as a god, and the next many, moment, they're stoning him. And this shows us this, the, the antagonism against the gospel, how strong it is, how strong the enemy's opposition was against God's truth. But we also see here the miraculous hand of God. Did you catch this? I don't know. Luke doesn't tell us whether Paul actually died from this stoning and then was raised back to life or whether he was just bad enough that they thought he was dead. They left him for dead. But the amazing thing is, as the disciples gather around him, which, by the way, is another good news, there were already disciples in Lystra, people who had come to faith, Somehow, some way, they're there with Barnabas. They gather around Paul, and miraculously, he stands up and walks back into town. That should not have happened. There is a miracle here. In some way, shape, or form, God raises him up. 
So what do we say about their time in Lystra? Obviously, the door closed, and they leave this town now, too. But what we're going to see is we go to the next couple chapters, we get to Acts 16, a church was planted in Lystra. There were believers and disciples in Lystra. And when Paul comes back through, you know who he finds there? Timothy. Timothy, who becomes one of his companions, becomes a pastor, who becomes an apprentice to Paul. His family is from Lystra. God is still working. He's raising up his church even even while stones are flying. So through that closed door in Lystra, God opens another door. They go on to the next town, Derby, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. So now they move on to the next city. God opens another, another door, and now the floodgates are open. People are coming to Christ in, in droves. Then they returned to, like, to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now get to those verses, and it starts to sound, okay, Luke's kind of round, wrapping up here. He's just telling us how they backtracked and to get back home. It's just their itinerary. But don't miss something here. Think about this. Paul and Barnabas were going back to the very cities where they'd been threatened, where they'd been stoned, where they'd been persecuted, where they had suffered. They went back to those same towns. They could have easily gone on and traveled on. They could have gone on to Paul's hometown to Tarsus. wasn't far from there. They could have gone back to Antioch another way. No, they went back through those same towns because they knew the new believers there needed the encouragement for their faith. So they were willing to take the risk to go back to those towns to bring encouragement. And that's our third point this morning. When God opens doors, we need encouragement for our faith. We need encouragement. Look at the words at the end of verse 22. They're pretty stark. Paul and Barnabas say, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This doesn't mean that we're saved by our suffering. They're not saying that we earn favor with God by going through suffering. What they're saying is it's a realistic understanding that even the saved sometimes must suffer, that we should not be surprised when hardship comes into our lives, even as believers. There's not the promise that we'll be saved from all hardship. Sometimes hardship is part of the growth of our faith. Remember the words of Jesus in John 16 that we landed on last week. Remember this? Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. trouble. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be hardship, Jesus said. But take heart. He also said, I have overcome the world. Right. I have overcome. So the, the, the good news of the gospel isn't that come to Jesus and he'll make your life easy, he'll make you prosperous and healthy and wealthy and wise. No. It's come to Jesus and it might be hard. It probably will be hard. But take heart, because in the end, the Lord Jesus Christ has overcome, and your walk with Him will end in glory. Maybe you've been in the midst of hardship at some point in your life, and someone's come along, like Paul and Barnabas, and encouraged you, not just to lift your spirits, but to strengthen your faith. I think that's a key phrase in this passage. They went to strengthen the faith of the believers. 
Maybe you've done that for somebody else, somebody that was struggling in their faith, and, and maybe you came alongside and God gave you words or gave you Scripture, and you encouraged their faith. That's such an important ministry. We need that ministry in our families, in our communities, in our church, that ministry of encouragement that strengthens our faith. Over the past few weeks, Beth has been in contact with a friend from Virginia Beach who, uh, who is really going through some hardship in her life right now, really difficult circumstances. And Beth knew that this was not one of those situations where you just say to the person, hey, just hang in there, you'll get through this. Sometimes that's just not enough. And so she did a little check-in and made sure that there were other women at that church in Virginia Beach who were reaching out to this person as well, thankfully. People who, were, who saw the need for this ministry of encouragement. People who were encouraging her and inviting her back to church, back to a women's group, back into that Christian fellowship that she desperately needed as she was going through this hard time. And Beth wanted to send her a card, and she found this card at Hobby Lobby. Beth always tells me Hobby Lobby has the best cards, you know, faith-based cards. And the inside of the card said this, keep holding on. Or better yet, no God is right there holding on to you. And I think this is a great example of the encouragement we give. It's not just, hey, hold on, hang in there, you'll get through this. The people around us need their faith strengthened. They need the reminder that God is holding them, that it's His strength, not their strength. God is holding you. So who is that? in your life right now that needs that kind of encouragement. You probably know somebody who needs a call or a text, an email, or a card. And are you willing to make the time and the effort to encourage somebody else to remain true to the faith? That ministry is desperately needed. Don't hesitate to give those words of encouragement. Notice what else was part of that encouragement? Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So as they went back through these towns, not only were they building their faith, they knew that leadership and that organization was needed in these young churches. And so they began to, to appoint elders in those churches so that there would be that continued ministry of strengthening of the faith. You know, we're, going, we're right in the middle of that right here at Trinity, right? We're in the process of, of vetting new elders and deacons. And a month from now, the first Sunday in November, we're going to have a membership meeting where we'll be electing new elders and deacons. That's just as important for the church now as it was 2,000 years ago. Leadership that's committed to the Lord and committed to encouraging and strengthening the flock. Those are important assignments. It's important ministry. So Paul and Barnabas now set sail for home. They come back to Syria and Antioch, to their hometown of Antioch, and they tell all about their experiences. This trip, this first missionary journey, covered some 1,400 miles. Imagine that, in that day and time. 1,400 miles on land and sea. They were probably gone for over a year on this first journey. And we want to end today where we began, verse 27. They reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
Notice, it wasn't what Paul and Barnabas had done. It's what God had done through them. It was God's work through them. It was God who had opened the doors. It was God who was doing the work of transformation. But it was Paul and Barnabas who were willing to be used by God to step through those doors, to walk through those struggles, and to faithfully share their faith with others. So what is the door that God is opening for you today? What does that door look like for you? What is it that God wants to do through you to minister to others? Who needs your encouragement right now to remain true to the faith? I encourage you to walk through that door. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that you choose to use us, to work through us like you did Paul and Barnabas. And that you just ask us to be faithful, to just to be willing to open our mouths and to, to speak about you. You ask us to step into these roles of encouraging others in their faith, remi reminding others to remain true to the faith, that, that that alone is a significant ministry that we can have on your, on your behalf for your kingdom's sake. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be ready and willing to see when the doors are open and to walk through. And when a door closes, to just look for that next door, the next place you want to put us, the next way you want to use us. And, Lord, as even as we're talking about this, I think of our community event coming up at the end of this month. And, Lord, I pray that as we just place ourselves out there around that open field, and invite families from Tate Elementary School and all over the community there to come, that we would just be the representation of your love and your grace to speak and to act in ways that represent you. And Lord, I thank you that for raising up Trinity Church. I thank you for this opportunity to be your people, your witness in this place. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our salvation, the good news that we have to share with others. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.